5,000 that were gathered. The next day, the crowd realized that Jesus and his disciples were no longer there, and they go to find him on the other side of the lake. They ask him when he got there, and as we sometimes see with Jesus, he doesn't quite answer their question, but instead he shifts the focus to what is actually important. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you had the loaves, ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus in this moment addresses their true motive, that they were far more interested in the physical bread that Jesus gave them rather than the bread of life himself. The people then go on to ask for a sign, and they say to Jesus, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just a side note. I don't know about you, but I can't believe the audacity of these people who have just witnessed Jesus healing the sick and then feeding 5,000 people, and then they have the audacity to then go and ask for a sign that they may believe in him. That is crazy. They cannot understand who is right in front of them. But Jesus goes on to declare to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And he goes on to explain this concept to the crowd in further detail, and you will be so thrilled this morning. I'm not going to read the whole thing, because it's from about verse 25 to 70. We definitely do not have time for that today. But the crowd really struggles to grasp this concept and accept Jesus' teaching. And it says in verse 53 that we are to eat his flesh, what he calls real food, and drink his blood, real drink. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And I think if we're being honest, this is a statement from Jesus that has a bit of shock factor. It's a bit graphic. And of course, we know that he is being figurative. But it's speaking of the faith that it takes for us as his followers, as his disciples, to follow him. It's about being all in and willing to go the distance with Jesus, no matter the cost. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And I know I have thrown quite a bit of scripture at you this morning, but we have finally come to our passage, which is John 6, verse 66 to 69. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I've got a question for you this morning. Do you have that same revelation in your heart, in your life, that Peter did? He says to Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter had come to understand 
who Jesus was. That he was not just a man. He was the Messiah. He was sent by God. He is the Holy One of God, sent to earth by God the Father to die on a cross and bring redemption for all mankind. Peter had spent time with Jesus. He had not only seen and witnessed the miracles, but he had come to know a relationship with Jesus. He had known genuine love and connection. He knew that there was no one else to whom he could turn. There was no other man or woman or institution that could fill the God-shaped hole in his heart that he had found filled with Jesus. Do you have that same revelation? You know, there's a fair chance that most of us here in this room would call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. We're living our lives the best that we can with him at the center of it all. Of course, we're doing the best that we can. We don't always get it right. But we're living for him. We're living with him. We're living with hope and purpose and freedom in our hearts and in our lives. But so often, if you're anything like me, we can subtly, slowly but surely sneak Jesus into what I'm going to call a plan A position. What do I mean by that? When Jesus is in a plan A position in your life, he is your first one that you turn to. He's the one that you'll seek help from. You'll turn to him in relationship. You'll pray. You'll talk to him. And you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound so bad, Anna. What's so wrong with plan A? Why is it such a problem if Jesus is in a plan A position? But the problem with a plan A is that there's usually a plan B A plan C, there might even be a plan D as well. Peter understood that Jesus was not plan A. He was just the plan. For Peter, there was no one else. There was nothing else that was worthy of following other than Jesus. In Jesus, he had found eternal life. Others had heard the words of Jesus outlining what it took to follow him. And they had counted the cost. They had decided that it was too much. When things got real, when the teaching got tough, they could no longer accept his teaching, and plan A was no longer a viable option for them. Jesus was no longer who they wanted to follow, and the Bible tells us that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him from that time. And I don't know if you have discovered this yet as a Christian. I'm sure that you have. But we will face many situations that will test our faith, test our character, and test our resilience. And when, not if, but when we find ourselves in places of discomfort, hardship, sickness, disappointment, offense, pain, or despair when we don't have the answers anymore, when we can't see a way forward, will Jesus be our shakeable plan A or will he be the only plan? In these times that our faith is tested, will you still believe that God is good? Will you still believe that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? 
Will you still believe that he can lead you beside quiet waters and restore your soul? Will you still believe that God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches? Will you still believe that he will never fail or abandon you? Are you able to stand up in times of difficulty with the armor of God on, knowing that he is your strength and your shield? Are you able to keep on praying, keep on believing for breakthrough? Can you hang on to hope? Can you persevere and see tough times through, knowing that he is with you? And if we want to live that kind of life, not a life free of troubles and pain, but a life that is able to stand strong in the midst of it all, then we need to understand what Peter understood. That Jesus is not plan A. He is just the plan. He is it. He is the light of the world, and in his words, eternal life is found. And when we understand that truth, we aren't going anywhere. When we have Jesus at the center of our lives, we are able to weather any storm. We are able to stand firm through any season of life, knowing that he is with us, knowing that he is working all things together for our good. And there is simply no other option other than following in his plan and the path that he has for our lives. We talk fairly often in this church, Selwyn included, Levita, Selwyn and Kiwi too, about being an intergenerational church. That is something that is in our DNA, and that is something I love so much about us. We are a church that wants to build up the young generations and the not-so-young generations. I'm not looking at anybody. I've got no eye contact. (laughs) And when I look at the generations that have gone before me, I see a faith that says, I am not going anywhere. It's a type of faith that understands the steadfast, intrinsic value of the word of God that stands throughout any test that life may throw at us. And I include myself in this statement that so often we can take this incredible literature for granted. It's a Bible, just in case I needed to clarify. (laughs) But it's not just a book. This is the God-breathed work of the ages. It holds immeasurable value and importance, not just for us in our lives, but in the life of every Christian around the world who has been lucky enough to hold this in their hands. It offers us guidance in every area of our lives. It is full of practical wisdom that we can apply to our real-life situations. It is full of correction that helps us to grow. Who loves that about the Bible? (laughs) It teaches us how to live with love, compassion, and justice. It encourages us. It reminds us about the bigger picture of God's kingdom that we are a part of. It deepens our faith. It transforms us, and it connects us back to our maker. I've got two lots of statistics to share with you this morning about the word of God. The first is from a 2018 United Bible Society study which states that 246 million people around the world do not have any of the Bible in their own language. And this is actually over half of the world's languages included in this statistic. 
and 1.5 billion people don't have the full Bible translated in their own language. The second study is from the New Zealand Bible Society in 2017 about Christianity in New Zealand with a particular focus on the Word of God in this nation. And there are heaps of statistics I could have picked out this morning, but here are three. 43% of Christians who own a Bible rarely or never read it. 10% of Christians say they have no interest in reading it at all. And 48% of Christians say they rarely or never discuss the Word of God with others. I find those statistics quite sobering and quite sad. And church, it is up to us that we do not become a part of those New Zealand statistics. Because we hold so much life and so much purpose within our hands when we hold this book. I am so good at forgetting how incredible this book is. Do I have any friends in the room? (laughs) I'm too busy. I'm too tired. There's a new series on Netflix that I want to watch. I want to relax. I went to church yesterday. I heard a sermon, so I don't need to. I read it last week. I read it at Easter time, so I don't need to. But boy, do we need to read this book. Boy, do we need to get the words of God inside our hearts and live them out in our lives because there is truth in these pages. A few weeks ago, I had a gum graft surgery, which is about as fun as it sounds. They had to, oh, if you're squeamish, just block your ears, but they had to cut from the roof of my mouth some gum tissue and stitch it on down the bottom. So that was a wonderful, joyous time. And then for two weeks following, I had to be on a soft food diet, which is also as fun as it sounds. So I asked my husband, Jono, some of you will know Jono, if we could go out for dinner for a couple, of, uh, a couple of days before the surgery so that I could have an amazing food memory before I was eating mashed potatoes, smoothies, cottage cheese, soup, all of those super exciting things. And it was an amazing, memorable meal. It was really great. But here's the thing. No matter how delicious that meal was, no matter how much I was looking forward to it and how much I remembered about it afterwards, No matter how talented the chefs were that prepared that meal, the reality is that it was not any more nutritious or any more sustaining than my smoothies, my cottage cheese, and my mashed potatoes. Yes, it was far more interesting and exciting and memorable, but at the end of the day, it was just food to nourish my body. And you might see where I am going here. Not every meal will be incredible, but it will still give us the nourishment that we need. Not every time we read the word, the words are not going to jump off the page at us. We're not always going to have goosebumps. We're not always going to feel like God is radically transforming our lives through these pages when we read. But it will still nourish your spirit. It will still give you what you need to sustain a relationship with God and live your life on this world, which is a really complicated place sometimes. I'm sure you could agree. 
There is so much within these pages that we need. We might not always want to, and I can relate to that. It might not always be the first thing at the top of our list, but reading the word is so important to get the nourishment for our spirits that we need. When the word of God is a part of our lives, we have a constant in the midst of life which is ever-changing. And it's, you know, we can see when we look at our lives how quickly things change. You know, the seasons change. We are nearly in August, which means we have one more month of winter to go. And some of you are saying, yay, and some of you are saying, yeah, but we still have one month to go. (laughs) Friendships come and go. Jobs come and go. Spiritual seasons come and go. Health comes and goes. Kids grow up. And then when you think they're done, they go and they grow up some more. (laughs) Things change so quickly in our lives, but the word of God is a constant anchor in the midst of it all. It never changes, and God never changes. It reminds us of who we are and of whose we are. When we live with Jesus as our plan and our purpose, we value the truth of the word and the place it holds in our lives. And Peter said to Jesus in that passage from John 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we know from the first chapter of John that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus has the words of eternal life because he is eternal life. And as it says in Acts 17, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Everything that we do, every day that we live on this earth flows out of the breath that he has so graciously given to us. It is because of him that we can live and move and have our being on this earth and the places that God has placed us to make a difference, to make disciples, to love and care for the people around us. When I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us on the cross, it's pretty evident that we were not his plan A. We were just the plan Jesus knew that his purpose here on earth was to die on the cross for us, a humiliating and painful death, so that we could know restoration of relationship with God the Father right here and right now and for eternity. Matthew 7 verse 13 to 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Do you remember earlier on I mentioned the audacity of the, the people to you know, not believe in Jesus, to ask him for a sign when they had seen so much? But are we that different? Right. You know, there are countless stories of miracles in this book, of things that God has done. And I know if I asked all of you today to share a story with me about the way that God has come through for you, a miracle that he has done in your life or in the life of a loved one, there would be so many stories. But so often, far too often, we forget. Many chose to turn back when they counted the cost, 
when the teaching was too challenging, when they felt that Jesus hadn't proven himself to them. But Peter, he was invested with his whole life. He was walking the narrow road, no matter what happened around the corner, no matter what he didn't understand yet, no matter how scary it must have been to lay it all down and follow this man when so many decided to turn back. No matter how small the gate was, he was walking the road that leads to life because in Jesus he had found life. Have you had that revelation? Have you not only heard the word of God, but understood it in your heart and applied it in your life? Because when we understand the gift of salvation that God has given to us, when we walk the narrow road, it becomes Jesus and only Jesus. We don't need our plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. We can throw those out the window. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that's not scary. But when we understand the sacrifice of Jesus and what he has done for us, we are willing to lay aside our other plans. It doesn't mean we won't be tempted to go and pick them up again. But in him, we have found the road that leads to life. Worship team, if you could please come up and join me as I come to an end soon. On that day that many of Jesus' disciples turned back, they were faced with a decision. They could stay the path, they could keep on walking down the narrow road with Jesus, or they could turn back because things got difficult. We face these decisions, these crossroads in life often, where things are painful, things hurt, and things aren't fair. But when we have had that revelation that Peter had, we are willing to go the distance with Jesus. I don't want to come before God with my own agenda, my own demands, but I want to come before him with faith and the person of Jesus Christ himself. Not the signs and the wonders, not what he could do for me, but who he is as my savior and as your savior, as our king and our Lord. There is no plan A, plan B, plan C. There is only Jesus. No one else laid down their life for you. So no one else is worth you laying your life down for. Church, would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to go into worship again in a moment. And can I just encourage you? You know, life is pretty busy. Life is pretty chaotic. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you have those weeks, those days, months where your brain is just full, right? Your brain feels busy. You can't get rid of that constant ticking over to-do list of all the things that you need to get done this week or today. But we have a moment here. You know, our phones are away. We are here and we have this opportunity to refocus our attention again on Jesus to worship him, to cast aside distraction and to lay our hearts and our lives down again and surrender to him this morning. So we were his plan, we are his plan and he wants to be ours. Maybe you felt challenged this morning to pick this book up again, 
even if you feel like nothing changes, even if you feel like the words are dry and dull, you can still trust that it will nourish your spirit. You might not feel the change straight away. You might not feel goosebumps. You might not feel the presence of God, but you can know that this word will nourish your spirit. Or maybe you know that Jesus is your plan A. And when things are going well, that's great. That's fine. You can trust on, in Him and rely on Him. But when things get difficult, you revert back to your plan B. He wants to be the one that you are pursuing. And I would love to pray this morning that God will speak to each one of us and meet us right where we are. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you with so much gratitude that you chose us. Lord, despite all of the mess and the chaos in our lives, we are your plan and you love us. This morning we choose to focus again on you, on who you are and the incredible love and grace that you have poured out upon us. Lord, for those who feel disconnected to the word, I pray that you will place a passion in their hearts again to pick it up, to read it, to meditate on it. And God, I pray you'll show them the transformation happening in their lives as they keep on choosing to read the word. God, for those that have that backup plan, I pray you'll show them that they can let go that you are faithful, God, that you are trustworthy, that, Lord, the plans and the purposes that you have for them go beyond anything that they could ever dream up or imagine for themselves. God, I pray that even when it doesn't make sense and the road is hard, that, Lord, you would flood their lives with grace and remind them of your purpose throughout it all. God, we just give you our hearts again this morning and we are so thankful, Lord, that we can worship you. We are so thankful, Lord, that we can read your word. God, that we are not one of the 246 million people around the world that does not have access to this truth, to this transformation right in our hands. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will have your way this morning as we worship you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. And we just lay our hearts down again before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.